Martin Odegaard has put pen to paper on a new five-year deal with the Gunners, making him the club's highest earner. And the North London derby is just two sleeps away. You're listening to the Big Match Preview on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's get into it. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. What a great day it's been. Martin Odegaard finally puts pen to paper on that new five-year deal with the Gunners. Well, I say that from what we understand, he put pen to paper earlier in the month, but we got the official announcement. That's what I wanted to say. Um, He becomes apparently the club's highest earner. Is it deserved? We're going to get into that uh, as we uh, run through this show. And of course, as I mentioned right at the top there, the North London derby is just two sleeps away. Lots and lots to get into. We're going to be discussing Martin Odegaard's new contract. We're going to be breaking down Mikel Arteta's press conference. We're going to look at the highlights from Ange Postacoglu's press conference too. Uh, We're going to have a statistical look at this fixture. Uh, We're going to debate around how strong... um, a, uh, a derby this is in comparison to some of the others. Uh, we're going to discuss the lineup and the prediction. Uh, right, let's say a few hellos to some of you in the live chat. Sammy Gunas says, good afternoon from Washington, D.C. Uh, can't wait for Sunday. Come on, you gunners. Let's trounce the spuds. Uh, we've got Henry in the chat. He says, good evening, H. We're going to smash that Middlesex lot 3-0. North London forever. Come on, you gunners. We've got John in the chat, we've got Oslo Guna who says, evening, folks. It's a good day to be a Guna. It is indeed. We've got Trevor. Uh, we've got Money Ain't, um, who says, good afternoon, everyone. Excited for this North London derby. We've got Amira uh, in the chat as well. Big hello to Graham, who says, uh, crikey, Harry, do you need a shilling for the meter? I've got the lights on. I've just got really crap lighting in this room. Um, and that's why I've got the ring light lighting up my face. I've got a light on on the ceiling. And I've got a lamp in the back corner of the room as well. So, um, yeah, the camera doesn't pick it up great. I could up the ISO levels uh, on the camera, but I've already started now. So uh, you'll have to make do. Uh, Big hello to Jason. I hope you are good, my friend. Uh, Delisu says, uh, hi, Harry. Can Tottenham come to the Emirates um, sporting the so-called Ange ball so we can pull another PSV? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? And a big hello to Nikhil, who joins us from the Himalayas. Hope you are good, sir. Hope you are well. Right. Where do we begin? I think before we uh, dive into the Odegaard chat or the North London Derby chat, uh, I've got a couple of promos to do. So I'm going to get those out of the way nice and early. Uh, Lots of you will have seen an episode drop on uh, the podcast on this channel uh, just the other day. Uh, When was it? I think it was yesterday. Um, yeah, it was yesterday. It feels like a long time ago now, uh, but it was only yesterday. It's the uh, Kai Havertz piece, which is called Kai Havertz is intelligent, in quote marks, because that's what Mikel Arteta called it, uh, role at Arsenal explained. And what I did was rewatch the PSV Eindhoven game, which I thought was the game in which Kai Havertz looked probably the most connected to the rest of the team since he's joined the football club. I, th- I thought he was quite good against Manchester City in the Community Shield final, but he was playing in a different role that day. He was playing at centre-forward. 
And um, what I wanted to do after the PSV game was watch the game back with a specific eye uh, on Kai Havertz and what he brings to the table. And and Mikel Arteta talked post-match about the complexities of the job that Kai Havertz has been given, the fact that he needs to be so, so intelligent to play. And that kind of got me thinking and intrigued me a little bit. And as a result of that, as I say, I wanted to focus in on Havertz. And so we did a special episode of the podcast. Uh, it is available in audio format. It is available on our YouTube channel. I would suggest if you haven't seen it already, go over to the YouTube channel because you get the sort of visual aids with it um, that will help you to understand the points that I'm making. I did listen to the audio version back because I wanted to figure out if it was still easy enough to follow. And it's just about okay, but I'd certainly recommend if you are going to take that one in, uh, that you do it on YouTube rather than uh, on your preferred podcast uh, platform. Um, the members mailbag is going to drop tomorrow. Uh, there is a bonus audio podcast uh, out with uh, Jack Hussey from the Rule the Roost podcast, which is one of the prominent Tottenham podcasts. We had a little chat earlier on today. We recorded it and it's been released in audio format. So if you're exclusively a YouTuber, then make sure you're subscribed to the Chronicles of Aguna uh, on the audio platforms as well, and you'll be able to get access to that episode. Uh, we were speaking about each other's sides, and, and in the end, we decided that we'd have to say one thing that we like about each other's teams, and um, that was tough, I've got to say. And um, you could see the anguish on our faces, and you could probably hear it in our voices too. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of my updates. Um, apologies for the delay in this show. Uh, I normally like to do these a little bit earlier in the day, but it's been a crazy, crazy day. Um, I was down at Emirates Stadium earlier today with Premier League Productions filming some stuff around the North London Derby. I was also at the famous Chip Inn Fish and Chip Shop on the Holloway Road. We did some filming in there as well. For those of you that are familiar uh, with some of the... Um, with some of the, the campaigns that Arsenal have done recently, Aaron Ramsdale being in the chip shop and the new third kit release and all of that stuff. We were there. Um, lovely place. Great food. I, I couldn't believe, actually, that people were coming in and getting fish and chips at like 11 o'clock in the morning. That's how busy that place is. Tried a few chips, tried a cheeky sausage and batter as well. And i got to say it was top, top notch. So uh, if you are around uh, the Arsenal area, uh, make sure you pop in there. Right, uh, let's get into it then. Without further ado, we're going to talk Martin Odegaard's brand new contract to start off with right after this. Welcome back along to the show. Right, um, Martin Odegaard has signed on the dotted line. Arsenal announced this uh, earlier on today, on Friday, giving us a nice little boost ahead of the North London Derby. And first of all, I just want to say what amazing news this is. Um, I think we all knew this was coming. You know, we'd reported, others had reported uh, over the past couple of weeks that this was getting close, that it was edging closer and that an agreement was pretty much there. It turns out that the agreement was already there because according uh, to uh, David Ornstein, who tweeted about this earlier on, the five-year new contract for Martin Odegaard was signed on the 1st of September. So it was already done. It's already in place. Um, this wasn't something that happened in the last couple of days where Martin Odegaard took to the field in a couple of our recent fixtures. This was already known. Uh, this was already done and dusted. And of course, uh, as I say, it is excellent, excellent news 
uh, for the Arsenal fans out there. He's been a revelation since he joined the club. When he first came, I think he divided opinion a little bit. Um, you know, I think he he had a bit of room to go in terms of improving and, and all the rest of it. There were certain aspects of his game that looked really, really positive, but there were aspects of his game that needed improving. And he's been able to do that and consistently raise his level. Um, the contract runs, the new one, until uh, the um, summer of 2028. There is no option to extend on the end of it, but it's five years. Um, the 24-year-old is now, according to David Ornstein, Arsenal's top earner. No uh, specifics around his salary. Wouldn't expect to get that, but the talks um, started way back in May. Apparently, there was interest from elsewhere, but the club simply did not entertain it. And Josh Kroenke, according to David Ornstein, again, was a driving force in this deal. Look, I mean, for me, this is huge. As I say, I've praised Arsenal quite a bit, actually, over the last couple of years, where I feel like not only have they been reactive in contract situations, i.e. when a player gets into a territory with regards to how long's left on their contract, that you start to feel a little bit concerned. The club have gone, yep, we'll sort that out now. They've been proactive. And in years gone by, you couldn't say that. We lost so many top players because we allowed them to kind of hold us to ransom as a football club because we weren't proactive in contract negotiations. And we ended up getting ourselves into a really difficult situation whereby the player held all of the cards, had all of the power. Look, I expect Martin Odegaard to be here for the next five years because I see him as a real linchpin of this strategy, of this project that the club have embarked on. I really do see him as that because I think he's somebody that just fits Arsenal Football Club perfectly in so many ways. But obviously, part of the purpose of giving these players these contracts is that if they do decide that they want to move on, if you decide that you want to move them on, they retain some value in the transfer market. Martin Odegaard is just 24 years old. So this contract takes him up to 29. Um, and then you can reassess your options if if he stays that long and you can you can figure it out. Oslo Guna says he's the heartbeat of the team. I agree with that at this moment in time. He's exactly that. Um, I did a little piece earlier on today, which I'll just share with you guys, actually. Um, hold on, where is it? Here we go. Uh, for BBC Sport, they asked me uh, to share my thoughts. Let me just um, share that particular bit. And I'll just quickly run you guys through it because that way I can kind of get my Martin Odegaard thoughts off my chest without missing anything uh, that I really want to have included. But this is uh, what I said earlier on uh, over on the BBC Sport website. Um, it's fair to say that when Martin Odegaard first arrived in North London, he divided opinion, as I've already mentioned. But his physical and technical development, along with the team's evolution on the whole, has seen him become widely regarded as one of the best attacking midfield players in world football. The Gunners have been lauded for their recruitment in recent years, but their ability to secure the futures of their key players through new and improved contracts has at times, in my opinion, gone under the radar. Not among us, but among people, I think, in the wider football world. Odegaard very quickly earned the trust of his boss and along with that, the captaincy, following in the footsteps of some of the club's greats. Odegaard has always displayed technical brilliance and you could never doubt his commitment or work rate. But in years gone by, you would have argued he didn't carry enough of a goal threat. In the past 12 to 18 months, he's added goals to his creative abilities, scoring 15 in the Premier League last season, elevating himself 
into the world-class category in his position. The sky is the limit for Arsenal's 24-year-old captain. He has the talent and the character to go on and become one of the greatest players ever to play for this football club. I predict that in years to come, his signing, rumoured to have cost the club something in the region of £30 million, will be looked back on as one of the signings of the decade. And I genuinely, genuinely do believe that. Um, obviously, look, we've got the North London derby coming up on Sunday. I'm not reporting at a game tomorrow. I am off. I'm having a rare Saturday off. And breaking news, I'm not reporting at the game on Sunday either. I get to go to Emirates Stadium on Sunday um, with my season ticket and um, and just take the game in like a fan. And it's been a long time. I think the last, I, I certainly haven't done it this season. And I think the last time I did it was Manchester United at home last season. So it's been a long time since I've been able to take in a game without having any responsibilities. I'm going to get down there nice and early, catch up with some friends and fingers crossed after the game, uh, celebrate an Arsenal victory. The podcast can wait till I get home, whatever time that is. Uh, but yeah, really, really looking forward to that. But as I say, I'm not working tomorrow. And what I've got in mind is a specific episode on how Martin Odegaard elevated his game, the factors that have allowed him to go on and become, in my opinion, a world-class operator in his position. Because I think there are factors that are down to Martin Odegaard. There are factors that are down to Mikel Arteta. And there are factors, I believe, in this current Arsenal side that are down to some of the players around him and the connections he's been able to form and build. So um, similar to the Kai Havertz piece where we, we did a real deep dive analysis, um, I'm going to do something on Martin Odegaard tomorrow, which I can't wait to share with you all. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that. It is coming very, very soon. Anyway, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the interview that he did with uh, Clive Palmer from the Arsenal Vision podcast. Clive is superb. He's fantastic. He's knowledge of the game and knowledge of our club is incredible. But also, he's one of the people that just puts it across in such a great, eloquent way. And you you listen, you know, when he speaks, you listen. I think he's amazing. And I'm so delighted for him that he got this opportunity to sit down uh, with, um, with Martin Odegaard and have this chat. Some of the highlights from that chat uh, were with regards to, um, you know, sort of how Martin Odegaard views this club, because um, one of the questions he was asked was, you know, why does this feel like home? What is it that's excited you? And he said, you know, it's what we're doing as a club. And when you think about the project, as I've already referenced, he very much is at the epicenter of it. He is somebody that Mikel Arteta views as his on-the-pitch lieutenant. He's the one that he sends out onto the field to pass over instructions, to carry out instructions. And one of the things that I think you might not always realise about Martin Odegaard if you're not attending the games is how frequently he is involved in conversations with teammates and how frequently he's, even when leading the press, sort of looking over his shoulder, uh, signalling to his teammates and making it clear that this is their time to follow it up. He almost controls our waves of press. He sort of maybe not controls them, orchestrates them, I think is a better way of putting it. And, um, and you know, you can say that he's not your traditional type of captain and all the rest of it. And he speaks about that in this interview. He says something along the lines of one of the important things for me was that I did it my way. 
you know, Martin Odegaard, if he starts raising his voice and shouting at people and walking around trying to play the role of a hard man, I think people will have a little bit of a laugh and a joke. Um, but, you know, he leads by example, I think, is the way he put it. And my word, does he do that? Um, he said this is definitely his home. And I think when you listen to Martin Odegaard speak about his past, and, and I'm talking about his past in terms of his footballing career, you always get the sense that he was just a young lad who left home really, really early. There was a lot of hype around him, but all he ever really wanted was to find a home. And he thought that he was getting that at Real Madrid. Um, but of course, that move then culminated into a number of loan spells. I think he learned on those loan spells and he kind of alludes to that as well. We learned not just football skills, but life skills, having to go abroad and live in different places, all the rest of it. But you know, you you get the sense from Martin Odegaard that this is exactly what he was looking for. Like he's landed on his feet at Arsenal in terms of finding exactly what he wants from a football club. Um, I said he's at the centre of this project. He feels like one of three or four flagship players uh, that Mikel Arteta has, um, you know, has sort of operating at the centre of what it is that he's trying to do. And as I say, for me, this is a world-class player for whom the sky is the limit. So great, great news. The interview's pretty cool. Some of the photos are great. Go over to the Arsenal website. They always make a big song and dance. And there's a cracking little video as well that goes uh, with the announcement. And again, a big shout out to Clive Palmer. Um, congratulations, mate. That was a superb interview. Really, really enjoyed it. Right, we're going to take a really short pause and then uh, we're going to discuss Mikel Arteta's press conference and we'll touch on some comments made by Spurs boss Ange Postacoglu too. Hey everybody, welcome back. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, two more sleeps to go until the North London derby. Maybe even one by the time you listen to this. Remember, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. It really, 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 really does help me. Um, so if you haven't done it already, what are you waiting for? Um, like, subscribe, you know the drill by now. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review too. That helps. We've got about 46 likes on the board. Nowhere near good enough. Come on, guys, smash the like button. It really, really does help. And um, and yeah, what are you waiting for? As I say. Anyway, Mikel Arteta's press conference. Um, of course, the press conference opened uh, with a question around Martin Erdegaard, who um, came, you know, who, who, who sort of announcement came, what, an hour before the press conference. Um, so yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, to, to give Mikel or for Mikel Arteta to have the opportunity to discuss that and the significance of it ahead of what's a, a big game, um, and stuff. So, um, yeah, interesting to hear from him. He said that there's no ceiling with regards to how, um, good Odegaard can be. And, and, you know, that kind of ties into my views as well. And look, I expect Mikel Arteta to, to blow smoke up his players' arse and, uh, you know, really kind of inflate how good he is. This is a a signing that was made by Mikel Arteta. It was a deal that was driven by Mikel Arteta. He's a player that, as I've said, he's instilled as a flagship um, player, very much at the epicentre of the project that he's trying to build and still building and, and still wanting to take to that next level. So, of course, he's going to be highly supportive of the player, but... You know, you listen to Mikel Arteta talk about Martin Odegaard, you look into his eyes and you think he really means this. And um, and why wouldn't he? You know, Martin Odegaard, as I say, has added goals. He's added 
the ability to go and take games by the scruff of the neck and, and be a match winner. He's got it all. You know, he's a great poster boy for the football club and all the rest of it. And um, one of the points that Arteta made, which I thought was quite interesting, was that it shows that people can go on all different pathways to get to ultimately where they want to be. You know, I, I don't want to dwell on Odegaard too much. This is a North London derby preview, but I've got to say this. You know, when he joined Real Madrid, the pressure around him to succeed was huge. It was a heavy weight on a young man's shoulders. And the loan spells were not ideal. But I can guarantee you this. When he started going out on some of those loan spells, there were people out there saying, well, this was a flop from Real Madrid's perspective. What a terrible signing. You know, he's never going to live up to the hype that was around him. And, you know, a few years down the line and having landed at the right place and having found the home, he could go on and fulfill every bit of potential that was talked about when he was a 16-year-old lad who made his way from Norway to Real Madrid. So, yeah, um, really, really exciting times. Other points discussed in the press conference. Team news update. Uh, Mikel Arteta said that Gabriel Martinelli is still being assessed. And if you go on the club's website, there was an update that came out a little bit later that said that Martinelli is touch and go, uh, whether he's going to be available for this fixture in any capacity. Uh, Mikel Arteta confirmed that Thomas Partey is still out as expected. But just looping back to the Gabriel Martinelli chat, I find these interesting comments and I'll tell you why. So first of all, if he is genuinely touch and go with regards to whether or not he's going to be involved in this fixture. That suggests that the injury that he picked up is nowhere near as bad as we first feared because he'd have been out for less than a week if he's to come back. So, you know, it's either good news or it's Mikel Arteta playing mind games. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was the latter. I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to keep Ange Postacoglu guessing and therefore decided he wasn't going to reveal um, what the deal was with Gabriel Martinelli. By saying he's still being assessed, he kind of left it open as well to be able to turn around in a couple of days' time and saying, well, we carried out our assessment. It's a hamstring strain, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's going to be out for three weeks. Do you see what I mean? He's left it open, um, which is really, really interesting. He was also asked about the goalkeeping situation again. I mean, how many times are we going to talk about this? I put a tweet out last night. You know, I'm so, so bored of this stuff. It's like it's all we hear about now, you know, Raya Ramsdale, Raya Ramsdale, Raya Ramsdale. I said something along the lines last night of the Raya and Ramsdale stuff. It really isn't that deep. We've got two top goalkeepers. Whoever is selected will still have a top player who's good enough to be playing sitting on the sidelines. You know, the likes of City and Chelsea have stockpiled talented players for years. There is nothing to see here. Obviously, Ramsdale will be disappointed. Obviously, he'll want to get his place back. But you need competition in a squad. You need that to drive excellence. That's how it works. That's how it goes. And um, Mikel Arteta was, of course, asked about how Aaron Ramsdale's reacted uh, to uh, being left out of the team. And he says he's responded well. He talked about him being uh, still a real positive character around the place, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, we'll come on to the lineup in a bit, and, and I'm sure we'll get into, you know, who should play and go. And I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say as well on this. But at the end of the day, David Raya came in for whatever reason. For some reason, Mikel Arteta took the decision um, ahead of the Everton game to bring David Raya in. Now, I'd been told 
um, from people that are far more connected than me, uh, that actually the reason for that was because David Raya had been incredibly good in training um, and had been knocking on the door for a long time. Um, you know, statistically, last season, he performed to an incredibly high level for Brentford. And a combination of those things convinced Mikel Arteta that it was time to give him an opportunity and time to give him a chance. Um, Inaki Kanya as well, the Arsenal goalkeeping coach, has a long-standing relationship with David Raya from their time together at Brentford as well. And that may well have influenced Mikel Arteta's decision. You know, if he's knocking on your door at the end of every training session, giving you a glowing report of David Raya, then you're going to be tempted to make that change, aren't you? But at the end of the day, you know, I have to say, I went into the Champions League game thinking Ramsdale will come back in. that He'd be given the opportunity to represent Arsenal under the lights on a big Champions League night. Why? Because he played a big role in getting us back there. And then he wasn't. He wasn't selected. Now, there's no point crying over spilt milk, OK? He wasn't selected. And when you break this down and you look at it logically, what you've got is... A goalkeeper in David Raya, who has come into the club in the summer, who's clearly impressed in training, who's been uh, uh, sort of knocking on the door. He's come in away at Everton, a game in which we lost last season. And then he's played against PSV Eindhoven in our first game back in the Champions League in six years. And what's he done? He's kept two clean sheets. Why would you drop him now? Why would you take him out now? Would you throw Aaron Ramsdale back into a game like this cold? I, I, I don't think I would. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail later on. Um, when discussing the Raya Ramsdale situation, Mikel Arteta sort of alluded to the fact that, you know, there's always going to be players around the squad that aren't happy, you know, but games um, need people to finish them. They need people to start them. You know, that everybody in the squad will have a big role to play between now and the end of the season. And he actually sort of confessed that, for him announcing the lineup and sort of waiting for the reaction of some of those players is, is one of the hardest things to do as a manager. He said, you know, I might look um, very calm and collected when I'm doing it, but I certainly don't feel that way. And then of course there was a question um, on uh, who is going to be in between the sticks on Sunday. Um, Mikel Arteta said there was no decision. Now, look, I think it's going to be Raya. I think that, there's no way that he changes it now. I'd be shocked if he does. But what do you expect to get from him when you ask a question like that? Like he's repeatedly said, the two goalkeepers are competing. I want them to be fighting for that position and I will choose who's the best one for each game as it goes. If you start making decisions on who's, or, or if you say that you've made the decision already, then it sends the opposite message to the message that you're trying to put out in the media. So clearly he was never going to give an answer for that. And listen, I, I, I tip my hat to those that ask the questions and, um, and, you know, want to go down that route in, in case they get some kind of a headline, some kind of exclusive, but the bottom line is Mikel Arteta is too switched on for that. And he's not going to fall into any of those traps. Just flipping it to uh, Big Ange's press conference. Big Ange, that's what they call him. Listen, let me just get this out of the way, actually, because, you know, being a Greek and being someone that has repeatedly been told over the last few months that they look like a younger version of Ange Postacoglu. Cheers for that, by the way. Um, you know, I quite like him as an individual. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good man. I think he's quite a good football coach. But for me, the jury is still out on him a little bit because it's so early. 
right? He's had a good start to the season. They've played against sides that I expect them to beat, maybe with the exception of Manchester United. But when you look at the circus at Old Trafford um, currently ongoing, then, you know, it doesn't come as a surprise that Spurs beat them at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Lots of clips going round of Ange Postacoglu. I thought what he did with um, the young chap who was, um, you know, in the crowd um, at the fans forum the other day, I thought that was brilliant. Fantastic. And and I actually think he made Tottenham look a bit... Look, he's got loads of plaudits for that, and rightly so, but he's made Tottenham look a bit stupid there because they were ready to wrap that forum up and ignore the question. Ange Postacoglu made sure that the question was put across, gave some form of answer to it. And look, from everything we can see, he looks like a really good guy, but you're the Tottenham manager, mate, as he would put it, so I can't like you. All right, that's the bottom line. Okay, that's how it goes. Um... He was asked today about whether Spurs could come to Emirates Stadium or whether we should expect them to come to Emirates Stadium and play their game or will there be a slightly more pragmatic approach applied? Now, he kind of hinted that there may be some tweaks, but he insisted that the principles, the overall principles remain the same and that he only sets up teams to win. I said this on the show the other day, I think. Um, but my view on this is very much if you turn up and you open up the way PSV Eindhoven did the other night, you will get a good hiding. You will be torn apart, Tottenham Hotspur. Surely this guy that's been lauded as the, the next coming of Jesus Christ because of how quickly the moods changed at Tottenham Hotspur is not naive enough to come to Emirates Stadium and play an open and expansive game. Yeah, they'll feel that they can hurt us. Yeah, they'll feel that they've got the weaponry to score a goal, maybe even more. But I tell you this, if they leave spaces, the likes of Zinchenko stepping into midfield with Odegaard and Saka, and even if it's Trossard rather than Martinelli, it doesn't really matter which of the two. And Gabriel Jesus up front in particular. Arsenal, I think, would tear Tottenham a new one. So I'm really intrigued by how Ange Postacoglu is going to, is going to tackle this match. Because for me, I, I, I can't believe, I, I can't convince myself that he is as naive as to just turn up and play um, this open game thinking that his swashbuckling approach is going to cause us problems. If he pulls it off, fair play to him. But I don't think any manager comes to Emirates Stadium now thinking that way. Is he really someone that's going to break the mould? Or has he just been able to implement a style and not really have to veer away from that because really and truly Spurs have played mediocre opponents up until this point in the season. We're going to have to wait and see. In terms of some of the statistics going into this game, if you look at the recent meetings, if you take the last five games between um, Arsenal and Tottenham, there are, of course, uh, three wins for the Gunners and two wins for Spurs. No draw in the last five North London derbies in the Premier League. Of course, we did the double over them last season. There was that 2-0 victory at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday, 15th of January. There was the 1-0 uh, win at Emirates Stadium on the 1st of October. Um, we're not a million miles away from that date. So it was around about this time um, last season that we, we beat them. Go back prior to that was that 3-0 undoing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when we were chasing... 
that Champions League place. That was a costly, costly defeat. But again, uh, that season, we beat them 3-1 at Emirates Stadium. And that was on Sunday, the 26th of September, which is even closer to the date that we're playing this time. It's always an early season fixture, isn't it? Arsenal at home to Tottenham. And if you go back to the 8th of August, 2021, we lost 1-0 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So three wins for Arsenal in the last five Premier League meetings, two for Tottenham Hotspur, no draws. With the exception of that, 2-0 victory that Arsenal picked up back in January at Spurs. It is a fixture that tends to go with the home team. I'm always pretty confident, actually, when we play Spurs at home. Away from home is a different animal. But equally, I actually feel like I can accept losing at home. Uh, sorry, I can accept losing on our travels more than I can accept losing at home. The idea of them coming and beating us on our own ground is something that doesn't sit right with me. So I'm always slightly more nervous actually, about the home fixture for that reason, because it's very much a must-not-lose. Um, how do you feel around North London Derby Day? For me, it's a weird one, because I get to this point, sort of Friday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'm buzzing, and you get all the build-up stuff, and, and your all your work is, is centred around this big game that's taking place on Sunday, and you talk yourself into why Arsenal are going to win it, and why Arsenal are the better side and why they will reign supreme over Tottenham Hotspur. And then you get to the morning of the game the night before and you feel like shit. That's what happens to me. Um, I feel terrible. If we look at sort of the seasons so far for both sides in the Premier League, Spurs, of course, in second at the moment, uh, Arsenal in fourth, but we're on the same points. Both of us have won four games, uh, a draw apiece. Um, their draw was away at Brentford, which is a fairly respectable result. Um, and zero losses between the two sides. Will any of these two sides suffer their first defeat at the weekend? We will find out. In terms of average goals scored per match, Spurs lead the way so far this season on 2.6 per game. Arsenal on 1.8. Average goals conceded per match. We've conceded less, 0.8 in comparison to their one. Two clean sheets apiece. And according to the statistics on the Premier League's official website, actually Tottenham create more click-cut chances per game than we do. Interesting. Um, just going back to the history of this fixture and just kind of staying on that theme for a moment, if you don't mind. I read a tweet earlier from journalist James Benj, which I thought was fantastic. He said, in the 21st century, more North London derbies have finished 5-2 than 0-0. I'm not sure that any statistic better exemplifies why every neutral loves this match. There you go. Have a bit of that. Think about that one. Um, going to take some of your thoughts and questions uh, in a few minutes time. So start getting those in the chat box. In the meantime, I'm going to take a really, really short pause and I'm going to share with you guys my preferred starting 11 for Sunday's North London Derby. OK, let's do it. Let's try and build a lineup. Well, I'm going to build my lineup, basically. Um, there's a few positions that are up for grabs for me. Uh, there's a few that are certainties and, and for me, don't even need discussion. The goalkeeping position is one, of course, that is up for discussion. Who starts in goal? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a clue. Box. Hold on. There you go. I can guarantee you that whoever starts in goal, Chronicles of Aguna exclusive, on Sunday will have the letters R and A at the start of their name. <laughs> um, look. I wanted Aaron Ramsdale to play in the Champions League. He didn't. Um, I was happy for him to play Everton. He didn't. 
off the back of keeping two clean sheets. I cannot see Mikel Arteta changing the goalkeeper. And actually, I don't think that would be the right thing to do at this moment in time. So I'm going with David Raya uh, in between the sticks um, for Arsenal on Sunday. In terms of the back four, I think this is easy. This picks itself for me. Uh, White at right fullback. Saliba uh, just inside. Um, then I would go with Gabriel, of course, alongside him. And then uh, Oli Zinchenko on the left for me. Um, so that's my back four. Nice and easy. Without Thomas Partey available, there's only one player that you want to see sitting at the base of the midfield. Yes, Mohamed Onen, he's back. Yes, Jorginho is around too. But for me, Declan Rice is the man that plays in that position. Captain Fantastic Martin Odegaard uh, will continue in his normal role for me. And then there's a bit of a debate around who's going to play in the left eight position. Now, Fabio Vieira started the game against Everton. I thought he did quite well. Um, had some really positive substitute appearances prior to that. Kai Havertz got the nod in the UEFA Champions League. And based on the fact that I think he's better at stopping the transition against us in that I think he's a bit more streetwise in terms of committing tactical fouls because I think physically he is bigger and I think that he is better at winning the ball back. I don't think any of them are particularly defensive-minded players. But I'm going to go with Kai Havertz. I've got faith that Kai Havertz can have an impact in this game. Remember, if you haven't checked it out already, uh, we've got a special episode, um, which has done quite well, actually, in terms of views and and um, and comments and all the rest of it. Uh, please do check that out on the channel. It's called Kai Havertz's Intelligent Arsenal Role Explained. Go and have a look at it. I did some analysis on Kai Havertz's performance against PSV Eindhoven and and came to some interesting conclusions. So do check that out. But I think he's the one that I would start in that position. Some of you will say Emil Smith-Rowe. Some of you would say somebody else. Not for me. Not in this game. Kai Havertz for me. Stick to the system we know. And um, and whatever we think about Kai Havertz's performances, it is clear that Mikel Arteta is really pleased and satisfied with what he's bringing to the team. And that's why I started to think the other day and what prompted me to make in that episode, because I thought, hold on a minute. There's got to be something that we are not seeing. There's got to be something that we are missing. And when Mikel Arteta starts talking about complexities and and all of this stuff, I don't think it was just him trying to throw us off the scent in terms of the criticism that Kai Havertz is facing. I think that there was some hint there to kind of say to the fans, look, you don't know what you're looking for. And somebody made a really, really um, good comment, actually, on the stream that we did the other day, which said people need to stop judging Kai Havertz as a forward because he's not playing as a forward. He's playing as a midfielder. So why are we judging his impact on games based solely on goals and assists? And it's a really, really good point. If Granit Xhaka hadn't scored up until this point in the season last season, nobody would have said a word about it. But we're trying to judge Kai Havertz on forward numbers when he's not playing in a forward position. And I thought that was interesting. Also, though, as well, like that episode, it, it received a lot of love. And I'm so grateful to everybody that listened to it. I know a lot of people listen to him and don't comment and don't get involved in the chat and all the rest of it. But some of the comments I got, some of the DMs I got, some of the messages I got were wild. People telling me that I was being the club's PR piece, trying to justify uh, the £65 million spend on Kai Havertz. Um, lots of people said it was a load of junk, a load of, a load of shit, a load of nonsense, and that I didn't know what I was talking about. And listen, that's fine if that's your opinion. 
but then just don't watch it. Like you wouldn't believe how much effort goes into one of those videos. Like you got to sit and rewatch the game. You know, that takes an hour and a half. All right. Maybe slightly less because you forward through certain phases of it. Then we put together slides and um, highlighted certain things and you got to cut those and put them into a presentation and all the rest of it to make that video. I'm okay with people disagreeing with me, but some of the comments I got were awful. Um, calling me every name under the sun. I deleted a load of them off the video this morning when I went through because I don't want anybody coming over to the channel for the first time and spotting that kind of um, that kind of like toxicity. We don't want that. You know, there are other places on the Internet you can go and, and sort of um, and, and let off steam if, if that's the way you want to do it. But this is not one of those places. But anyway, appreciate everybody that tuned into that video, of course. So that's my team so far. Let me just quickly run through my defensive midfield for those of you listening on audio. Raya in goal. I don't think that Arteta changes it ahead of a game like this. And to be honest with you, I don't think he should. Back four of White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Rice with Erdogan and Havertz in midfield. Um, Saka starts on the right, no doubt about it. One of the match winners within our ranks. On the left, I'd say it's going to be Trossard because uh, Martinelli is touch and go, apparently. I'd be shocked if he started the game. And Leandro Trossard was, you know, I don't think he was great when he came on against Everton, but he scored the winning goal. So match winner on that occasion. And I thought he was sensational, actually, um, in the game against PSV the other night. Now, one of the other question marks is around who starts at centre forward. Eddie Nketiah has been great. Um, Gabriel Jesus got a start, of course, in the Champions League. You know, still maybe some slight concerns about his fitness, um, about where he's at. But if I'm Mikel Arteta, I'm starting with the Brazilian um, and I'm making the change after 60, 65 minutes, if that's what's necessary. Nobody would mind um, bringing in um, Eddie Nketiah at that stage in the game if Gabriel Jesus has given his all and has run out of steam. We all appreciate that he was out for a long time last season, that he had to um, undergo surgery at the start of this season. His recovery has been really, really quick. He looked razor sharp the other night, as sharp as I've seen him in a long, long time. And I just don't think you can ignore that kind of performance ahead of a North London derby. I think he brings the best out of Saka, the best out of everybody around him. One of the reasons that I actually felt that Kai Havertz looked more connected the other night to the team was because Jesus was up front rather than Eddie Nketiah. And that's not to to criticise Nketiah, because I think he's a good player. And, you know, he's he's one of the best backup strikers around. But Jesus just brings another level of link-up play and another level of intelligence, in my opinion. Um, he's a far better dribbler, which attracts the attention of defenders the minute he receives the ball and takes one or two touches. And that, in turn, creates space for the players around him. I stick by what I said many times last season. The, the reason that you saw Saka and Odegaard, or at least one of the key reasons you saw them able to really up their outputs was because they had him in and around them um, in the centre-forward position. So for me, it's Gabriel Jesus. So my starting 11, the starting 11 that I would select to play in this weekend's North London derby is Raya in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back, Rice, Havertz and Odegaard in midfield with Trossard, Jesus and Saka in the attack. Let me know your thoughts. Get your questions in. I'll take a few of those uh, before we jump off. Going to take a quick, quick pause, giving you an opportunity to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Plus, if you're listening on audio, leave us a review. And when we come back, we'll tackle those questions. Here we go. 
Okay, welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. Um, let me just have a quick look where we're at in terms of subscribers at the moment. I've been saying to you guys for a long, long time that I'd love to get the YouTube channel up to 30,000 subscribers sooner rather than later. Um, we've got an amazing community on the audio platforms as well. Um, we still get more numbers on audio than we do on YouTube, which is astonishing to me, uh, which means that, you know, there is just as big a community there. And I know it sounds like I'm always banging on about YouTube, um, but it, it's it's not any more important. They're both really important to me. But once I have a milestone in sight, I'm always really, really driven to kind of get there sooner rather than later. At this moment in time, we have got 29,645 subscribers on YouTube, which means we are 355 subscribers away. Is that right? Yeah, I think my math is right. From hitting that 30,000 mark. If we could get there in the the next couple of months, I'd be over the moon. And I don't see why that's not possible. You know, we managed to pick up over 100 subscribers over the last couple of days um, with a couple of um, sort of successful videos. So please do subscribe if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help. And um, yeah, leave a like too, because that helps with the algorithm, which puts the video in front of more people, which in turn leads to more subscribers. So uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, I'd be very, very appreciative. Um, I'm just rolling through the chat and just um, highlighting some of your questions so that I can go and pick those out. Um, I want to say a, a big uh, thank you to Delisu, who's been a member of the channel actually for 30 months now. Uh, Delisu, congratulations, mate, and um, thank you for your support. Uh, he says, hi, Harry, who is our go-to penalty taker at the moment? I was convinced that it was Bukayo Saka going into the season. Um, you know, he'd, he'd been the penalty taker last season. Yeah, he missed that one at West Ham. But again, you know, when I think about why we may have seen a change there, because we've seen Martin Odegaard step up, haven't we, recently, could it be about being unpredictable? You know, Mikel Arteta's banged on about that all summer. The fact that he wants to have different options, a variety, so that Arsenal aren't predictable in terms of their playing style. Is that a principle that he's now applied to penalty taking as well? I just wonder. Because, yeah, you know, Bukayo Saka, I think, missed one in his Arsenal career, yet very quickly, very ruthlessly, was uh, replaced by Martin Odegaard, it seems anyway. Is that Mikel being ruthless, like he's been in the goalkeeping situation, or is this about being unpredictable? Will we see Bukayo Saka take penalties at times too? Listen, as I say, Saka only missed one. But there's something about Martin Odegaard's sublime technique that makes me feel far more comfortable about the idea of having him strike a ball uh, from 12 yards than anybody else. So for me, the go-to penalty taker at the moment is, is Martin Odegaard. Um, but yeah, I know people would disagree with that. Let me know in the chat what you think. Um, Odradek says, uh, Harry, who do you think is the most underrated player in the current Arsenal squad? Um, it's a difficult question, this. I, I think there are a few players that are much better than most people would give them credit for. I think Reese Nelson's getting better and better. He's one of them that comes to mind. Another player for me is Jorginho. I know people would disagree with that, but, you know, whenever he comes on, he's able to help us control games. As long as you use Jorginho in the right way, he can be a really, really effective tool. If you start to to pick him in midfield and leave him at the base of a midfield in open games where there's a lot of transitions and there is 
a lot of space around him, then I think you're kind of asking for trouble. So if you use him in the right way, I think he's a really, really handy player. And um, and I think he's been that for Arsenal. So he would be probably my selection uh, on this one. Uh, Delisu says, um, and thank you so much for your super chat, mate. You really didn't have to. I really, really appreciate it. Um, he says, uh, thank you so much for the great content. As a South African gooner, you make me feel so close to my club. It's really appreciated. No, mate, your support is appreciated. Thank you uh, so, so much. Gary Griffin says, Harry, why are people obsessed with the Havertz fee? We've only paid £20 million up front for him with two more £20 million payments spread over three financial years. Who knew we had so many accountants? I don't know for a fact um, that that is the, the makeup of the deal. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't personally know that. Um, but yeah, look, transfer fees, they're not the big issue for football clubs nowadays. You don't feel like these clubs have so many assets and so much flexibility because of the vast amounts of money that they earn. They're in a position where they can generate transfer fees. I think the thing that really drains and kills football clubs is really over bloated and inflated wage bills. And that's something that Arsenal had in the past in trimming down the squad initially the way they did they saved a lot of money they've slowly been able to build it back up um, and now as the revenue around the football club increases with the qualification of champions league football for example and for other reasons because we're a much more attractive proposition as a football club while we're punching right at the top of the table to commercial partners and all the rest of it you can slowly allow your wage bill to catch up. And that's what Arsenal have been doing by increasing the salaries of people like uh, Odegaard, Ramsdale, um, Bukayo Saka, et cetera, et cetera, Martinelli. Um, so, yeah, like I think it needed to be stripped back. But I think we're in a place now where look, the, even if we do pay, go on to pay the full 65 million or whatever it is for Kai Havertz, it's not going to kill us in the future because generally speaking, the club is being managed so much better. And that obviously really helps. Um, Ted Watts says, is Ramsdale a scapegoat? He was used with the new system um, and the defence was struggling. For what it's worth, I think Riot is a very good goalkeeper. I don't think he's been, been scapegoated. I don't think this is any personal. I don't think this is Mikel Arteta losing faith in Aaron Ramsdale and all of a sudden wanting to kick him to the curb. I don't think this is anything like that. And I'm wary of the fact that we keep talking about it and we're creating an almost Jaden Sancho-like narrative around Aaron Ramsdale. And the two situations are completely different because Aaron Ramsdale hasn't fallen out with anybody. Mikel Arteta hasn't turned off from Aaron Ramsdale in terms of how much he respects him and admires him as a goalkeeper. He's just got another goalkeeper in that at this moment in time, he thinks he's better and he's playing him. And it's as simple as that for me. Um, so I don't think Aaron Ramsdale has any reason to feel like a scapegoat. If you want to play top-level football at a top, top club, you are going to face competition. And yes, it's an unorthodox way of doing things. And there are not many goalkeepers in the world that have this level of competition, which can then lead to X amount of insecurity. I get that. But I simply think that this is just the case of Mikel Arteta looking at Raya in training over a period of time. We know that Arsenal under Arteta are very statistics-driven and they've decided that this is the guy for now. Um, Essen says, I agree with you in 99% of the things you say, but it's statistically a fact that Raya is better in the air than Ramsdale. Yeah, maybe he is. Maybe he is. You know, I hadn't watched anywhere near as much of 
David Raya prior to this season as I did Aaron Ramsdale. Um, and um, I actually didn't realise how big a figure David Raya is until he got here, to be honest with you, and until I've seen him uh, up close. But yeah, as I say, I think Mikel Arteta feels that Raya is the best option at the moment. And and so, so be it. I don't think it's any deeper than that. It's a team selection. That's it. Um, Delisu says, Harry, what did you think of Emil Smith-Rowe's cameo um, the other night? I thought he looked sharp when he came on against PSV. He did. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that he came on in a Champions League game kind of shows that, you know, he's in the thinking again. And he wasn't really for a long time. There was a long period where he wasn't even getting opportunities off the bench. So that's a good thing for him. He's got to take those opportunities as they come. He's got to make the most of them. Um, and he's got to hope that he can either capitalise on someone picking up an injury, not that you want your teammates to be injured, but, you know, that an opportunity comes, that the door opens and that he can get in and make the position his own in the same way that Martinelli basically took his position on the left during a period he was out injured. Um, right. I am going to, um, I'm going to sign out now. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with that Martin Odegaard special and the members mailbag over on the Another Slice platform for those of you that are subscribed. Um, so uh, get ready for that. Um, there's some great questions again, and I can't wait to uh, to dive into them. I've recorded some of them, but there was a few more that came in this afternoon. I know that the day that we released that members mailbag has fluctuated a little bit, but I'd always prefer, and I'm sure you guys would agree, tell me if you don't, I'd always prefer that we do it when we have a good amount of good questions so that the show is worthwhile. Um, but yeah, we'll get that out to you uh, tomorrow, of course. Uh, Kenny says, Harry will take the position of either a press officer or the president or prime minister. I think you're in the wrong job. I think you're trying to suggest that I'm too diplomatic or whatever. Yeah, let me know what you're suggesting. But anyway, uh, thank you all so, so much for tuning in as always. Uh, to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. This has been the big match preview. Looking ahead to Sunday's North London derby. Did I give you my prediction? 3-1 to the Arsenal is what I'm going for. I've been saying that all week and I'm going to stick to it. Come on, you Gunners. I'll catch you all tomorrow with more. And then we'll be back after the North London derby for hopefully some positive reaction. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great evening. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.